Welcome everyone to Parsha Talk, the best Torah discussion in Dutchess County, New York. I am your host, Rabbi Barry Chesler, and with me today is Dr. Allison Joseph, the senior editor for the Posen Library of Jewish Culture and Civilization, and Hope Lavav, a fourth grade teacher at Bay Rabban in Manhattan, both veterans of Camp Ramah and to Parsha Talk. This week is our first Shabbat in camp, and we read... Parashat Shalach, or Shalach Lacha as it's sometimes called, whose main focus is on the story of the spies. As it turns out this year, the last Shabbat in camp will be reading Parashat Tavarim, which has a slightly different version of the spy story. Perhaps you could elaborate on that, Allison. I love on a summer like this, when we get both of these parashiot here, and our first Shabbat and as our last Shabbat in August in seven weeks. And so we have this story of the spies that God tells Moshe to send out one man from each tribe to check out the land and come back. And I was really struck reading this this year in our preparation for our Chinuch, our um, Jewish studies classes, of reading this story again and realizing something totally new. That the spies come back with a report that says... It, the land, the people there are giants, and look at this giant fruit that we brought back. And they give us kind of this observation, and we usually look at these spies as the ten spies give us a bad report. But they really give us an observation, and one of the things that we realized in our preparation for camp was that Caleb, who is often seen as the hero of the story, is the first one to give a kind of... Uh, evaluation of how the spies look that he's saying we can do it and the and then the 10 spies respond well it's really there's no chance we can get in there and so we have this uh chance for scouting out the land and figuring out what it is uh that the children of israel have ahead of them as they go forward into the wilderness so the parsha begins, Shalach Lecha, God tells Moses, you should send forth the spies. And this recalls for many of us the original commandment to Avraham, then known as Avram, when God says, Lech Lecha me'artzacha me'moladatacha me'beiravicha, to the land that I will show you. What kind of land do the spies actually see when they enter Canaan? The land that they see is really a good land but it's filled with what they call Anakim giants, um, that the land, they call it exceedingly good, that it flows with milk and honey, um, that this is really a great place. So that the land that they see and they scout out uh, is really quite great. And the reports that we get back from the 12 spies is how the children of Israel need to respond, how they should respond to this report, what it means for them going forward. Right, as opposed to just giving a scouting report of what they see, 
they're um, they're drawing some conclusions. They're saying, uh, yeah, the land looks great, but there's no way that we can take this land. The people there are way too tough, um, and uh, and we won't be able to uh, to take them on. Uh, which is which is honestly not what they were asked to do and taking that step away from uh, remembering all the miracles that uh, that have been uh, done for them uh, as they move out of Egypt and, and through the desert. Uh, somehow their faith is eroded by these uh, by these giants. So they echo the, the line that comes often in the Torah that it's a land of milk and honey, but they don't seem to see the land as the land that God has shown them. They see the giants, they see obstacles, they describe the land as Eretz Ochelet Yoshvecha, a land that consumes its inhabitants, which is a kind of curious phrase. If they're afraid of the inhabitants, who would be left if the land is consuming them? One of the medieval commentators notes that it seems only the fittest ones survived in the land as natives, and perhaps that raised the fear level of the spies. We see... We see that the people are really questioning their entire experience because their response and not wanting to go into the land because of this kind of scary report is that they would have been better off to have stayed in Egypt. And so it's sort of a challenge to, you know, God did all this stuff for us and suddenly they've totally lost faith. And when you look in... um, Dvarim, the parsha at the end of the summer, you see that that is completely the case, that in that situation, it is the people who asks for the spies to check out the land, that they don't trust that it's going to be okay. And so it's a further amplification of this loss of faith in the spy story. Or perhaps we see the account in... Deuteronomy being that the people are eager to go into the land and they first want to see spies to check it out. So which of the two accounts seems the more tragic? The one here in Bamidbar or the one in Devarim? The one where apparently God sends, commands the spies to be sent or the one where the people take the initiative? Well, I think it's always uh, important. I try to challenge kids to think about why did God even want them to do this? Right? To, to spy out the to, land. To spy out the land, right? God knows what it looks like. And if God tells Moshe, just take them in, that's what they're going to do. So why does God take this moment of, oh, I'm going to send these human people to check it out? Um, and I think that there are a lot of possibilities, right? Is this a test for the people? Is this a test for Moshe? Is this a test for the spies. Is this the, we're going to give, uh, you guys might be nervous even though you have faith, but we're going to, um, God's gonna give you a chance to, uh, I don't know, gain confidence through seeing how it looks or get you excited because it looks really great flowing with milk and honey. So that there's really an ambiguity within the text of what is it that God is, God wants when God suggests this. 
What's your question? Which one is more tragic? Yeah, which account do seems to resonate more with us as uh, as a tragedy? I mean, who is? Do the people come off more responsible for their fate in in Deuteronomy, where apparently they take the initiative, or here? If we go focus just for a moment on Caleb, who, as Allison mentioned, is perhaps the hero of the story, so. He comes and says, let's go, we can conquer these people, and he's rebuffed. And then he waits for 40 years. But we're not just readers of Torah, we're students of history. Had they gone in, do we think that Caleb would have survived to say that I was right and you were wrong? Or is Caleb somehow deluded himself by thinking that this would be a cakewalk because God said so? Does God always deliver on his promises? Well, I think that's something that we see towards the, I think it's the end of this Parsha or the end of next week's Parsha that uh, the people want to march against the Amalekites and that God, uh, I guess Moshe says, well, you could do whatever you want, but God is not sanctioning that. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't suggest it, but they do it anyway. And they're, Killed. Right, and they do it without Moshe. It is the end of this parsha. Um, they do it without Moshe and without the ark. They the people go up themselves, and again, that seems to suggest that they're going without the guidance of God. And perhaps their great sin is that when they're in the land, they don't see the land as God's land. They see it as this land where we're going to die. And I have to say, I think I mentioned this to you earlier in the week, Allison, it's always perplexing that they think it would be better to die in Egypt or the wilderness than to die in battle. Right? Heroes in much of our literature die on the battlefield, not home in bed. Um, and here it might be worth pointing out that in addition to saying that they should have gone back to Egypt, they think it would be better to die in the wilderness, and that's precisely what happens to them because that's God's punishment. You thought it would be good to die in the wilderness, so you all die in the wilderness. Well, it, it almost suggests that, um, that God's asking Moshe to send spies. Um, is, it feels almost like a setup uh, in terms of, uh, you know, so far the people really don't have any reason not to trust that God is going to do what God says. And, um, but maybe uh, God wants to, uh, to see that the people do have that faith um, or to give them the opportunity to demonstrate that they are a people, that they have a faith, that they're looking to God, they're believing in God. Um, and, you know, they fail pretty miserably in this, um, in this case. And so it, it all becomes evidence against them to justify the 40 years of waiting for a fresh crew of people to actually enter the land. So one of the liturgical highlights of the Parsha is the line that we say on fast days. Um, that is uh, that God has forgiven them according to Moses' plea. 
when God wants to punish the people and God is going to destroy everyone, apparently, Moshe pleads on their behalf. And God says, I have forgiven their sin as you have asked. And then we have a version of the 13 attributes about God. We're here at camp. It's the first week. We had our first keto yesterday and today. What kind of message do we bring to the campers about the presence of God in camp? We have a moment. It's a little <laughs> silent here in the, the Ramah studio because Barry's throwing us the softball questions. Um, but I was never good with the curveball. So. Well, one of the, the our, our first theme for the summer is Kehila Kedosha, talking about uh, the holy community that we um, that we build here together at camp, um, and I think uh, at least what what I've been um, uh, very briefly because we we really just had a few minutes with the students, but what I've been f- what focusing on is what do each of us bring to a kihila kadosha. And what uh, what does the uh, what does the community provide mm-hmm. for the individual? What does the individual give to the community? Um, and uh, and so I think in in terms of uh, in terms of God, we haven't really gotten there uh, exactly yet. But for a lot of a lot of the chanichim, I think. Things like looking around and feeling really grateful for um, for camp and just for the for the physical uh, for the physical land. Maybe in kind of the same way that the that the spies were able to see the beauty and splendor of the land. Chanichim uh, arrive here from all sorts of uh, different places and can appreciate the beauty around them and and see God in that. I think that the spies also show us the different ways that people kind of exist in communities, right? You have um, opportunities for leadership, and then you have opportunities for each individual to make choices, right? When the 10 spies said their opinion and Caleb and Joshua gave their opinion, the children of Israel had the opportunity to choose. Who do we want to follow? what kind of decisions do we want to make? And it's a really, it's always a really exciting time in the beginning of the summer, even with our returning Hanichim, that they get to reinvent themselves. They get to decide what kind of summer is this going to be for me? Um, how do I want to interact with the other Hanichim in my bank and my Ada and the camp as a whole? And so uh, we really have that opportunity starting now. So, if we might switch gears just a little bit, at the end of the parsha, we have the third paragraph of the Shema, which has the mitzvah of tzitzit. The Israelites are commanded to put tzitzit on their, uh, on their four-cornered garments, and they're supposed to look at them, whether it's the individual Israelite looking at his own tzitzit, or each Israelite looking at the tzitzit that everyone else is wearing, in order to remember that God took us out of Egypt and is required of us as a result 
the following of all of his commandments. The paragraph questions us about being led astray by our heart and our eyes. And it's that same verb, taturu, that is the one that sets in motion the spies who are to Latour et Taaretz. Perhaps we could speak for a little bit about the different ways of seeing and how in light of this commandment of the tzitzit, we try to get people to look at camp and their life at camp from a, a divine perspective, if we might say. It's another softball question. <laughs> <laughs> well, we start each day with our tefillah, and uh, in, I think all of the adult are saying this third paragraph of the Shema, and they are reminded, you know, either our post-B'nai Mitzvah post or with our younger kids, they're seeing their staff with tzitzit. Um, and it's, it's just sort of a reminder of this kind of special community that we, that we create here in camp. I think the the word for me in these in the, these psukim that really resonates is l'dolatam, um, and it's not just a commandment for this present generation, but it's it's a commandment for future generations, um, and that's something that um, that uh, now that I've been at camp for for decades, but in this iteration for five years this is my fifth year. And, um, and I feel like the connections that Hanichi make with each other and with, um, with their uh, Madrichim and, and for us, seeing Hanichim become Madrichim, um, this idea of a generation to generation is a very powerful uh, model. And the fact, as, as uh, Allison said, that we're... Uh, all starting our day with um, with tefillah, with the the with remembering this um, this commandment um, is just uh, underscored and and really made stronger by the fact that everyone can look around and see this returning and this recommitment um, to uh, to these values and these ideals. One of the things I like to do when I'm at camp, now that everyone has a cell phone, including me, is to take pictures throughout the day when I can, because there are lots of beautiful images of camp, and even places or views that seem infused with the divine. And perhaps here at camp, we have access to God in a way that we might not have in other environments, because we're all more or less on the same page. We come from all walks of life, we have kids from infants through um, college-age kids, if we include the staff, we have a number of adults, and it really is a magical place. And perhaps the passage about Tzitzit, this first week of camp, comes to remind us that we have to look down, as you had mentioned when we were speaking earlier, Hope, um, in order to see what's on the ground, we have to look at people across from us, and we have to look out in order to experience all that camp can offer and all that God can give us. So with that, we'll conclude our inaugural 
edition of Parsha Talk for Kayetz of Hayim Chasrei, the summer of 2019, and wish all of you Shabbat Shalom. שידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשירס כל רמה 102.3 FM